From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line. Today's Open Line is recorded, so no calls, please. If you'd like to send us an email for a future show, the address is openline at EWTN.com. It's a very special mailbag edition today of EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. Father Wade Menezes is out doing heaven knows what. So we've uh, prepared some brand spanking new content for you on this Tuesday, so be sure to stick around. There's some great uh, questions that will be answered later in the program, so we will not be taking your phone calls today. But as the announcer man told you, if you'd like to be part of a future mailbag edition, you can send us an email, openline at EWTN.com. That's openline, all one word, at EWTN.com. I'm Jack Williams, Michael McCall, producing the program, and our host, as he is every Tuesday, Father Wade Menezes. How are you? I'm great, Jack, and when this is airing uh, on September 6th, I will be in Florida preaching a a week-long parish mission at St. Joseph's Parish in Palm Coast, so I don't want my listeners to think that I'm like Padre Pio right now, bilocating, because that is not the case, okay? (laughs) I tried bilocating once, and I broke both an arm and a leg. (laughs) Well, there you go. So um, we talk faith, family, and fellowship on Tuesdays here on EWTN's Open Line. And those of you who are regular listeners of EWTN uh, or one of our affiliates, you're very familiar probably with the ministry of Mike and Alicia Herndon, who uh, have a great ministry focusing uh, on the family at risk of stealing someone else's apostolate name. Um, But they call it the messy family. You know, everything that we deal with in this uh, dimension is not all nice and neat and lined up and orderly. Um, the evil one, the the ruler of this age, uh, sticks his hairy legs in the middle of some things, and every once in a while we've got to clean up the messes, and they give us some great advice uh, on how to do that, and um, you can find all of their good work at MessyFamilyProject.org, and as I said, you hear the Messy Family Minute quite frequently here on EWTN Radio, and Father Wade, you wanted to highlight some of the work of uh, the Herndons today uh, as your springboard topic. Yeah, three of their one-minute uh, f- Messy Family Minutes that, that, as you just said, air on EWTN and its affiliate stations, uh, appropriately called Date Night, Prioritize Your Spouse, and praying as a couple. These are three great ones. If you go to uh, messy, excuse me. If you go to um, messyfamilyminute.org, messyfamilyminute.org, you will find these listed there. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful resource for married couples and for their children, but especially for the married couples to uh, go ahead and employ some of these thoughts provided by the Hernans, Mike and Alicia, at Messy Family Minute. The, na- the name of their website is messyfamilyproject.org. MessyFamilyProject.org. That's their main website. But for the the minutes that appear on EWTN, the Messy Family Minutes, they can go, our listeners, Jack, can go to MessyFamilyMinute.org. And here's here's the three that I want to share today. Messy Family Minute number 29 on their website is called Date Night. Listen to this. The Hernans say, one word of advice that we hear from couples with great marriages is to make a regular date night a priority. Spending dedicated time alone with your spouse is an essential foundation for a vibrant marriage. Date night is a time for busy couples to look at each other and say, I remember you. We know making time for each other can be hard when children are little, but actually, that is when it is most important. Never allow your children or busy schedules to become an excuse for not prioritizing your marriage. 
when we had young children, sometimes on a Friday night, one of us would put the kids to bed and the other would set up the living room with candles, flowers, and fun food. Or we would ask friends to watch our kids and we would do the same for them. Or we would get up early and spend an hour or so alone before the children woke up. There are many ways that you can carve out time to focus on your relationship with your spouse, but you have to be intentional about it. So that's the Messy Family Minute number 29, titled Date Night from Mike and Alicia Hernan at MessyFamilyMinute.org. And then Messy Family Minute number 36 is simply titled Prioritize Your Spouse. Listen to this. One of the secrets of a happy home is for the spouses to prioritize each other over everyone else, even the children. We know this may sound counterintuitive, but the best way to be a great parent is to be an amazing spouse. I'm going to repeat that, Jack, because that's so important. We know this may sound counterintuitive, but the best way to be a great parent is to be an amazing spouse. We have to put the needs of our marriage above the wants of our children. Think of it this way. What do children need more than anything else? They need a mother and a father who are completely in love with each other and who provide a stable, safe place for that child to grow. Amen to that. After all, where do these children come from? They are the fruit of your marriage. So don't get confused and think that your children can be the focus of your family. That is not good for them, and it's not good for you as spouses. Your marriage needs to be prioritized, and from that marriage, you will be able to provide a loving home for your children, and you will have the energy to give them the love and attention they need. Always remember, you are first a husband or wife, and second, you are a parent. So great wisdom there from Mike and Alicia Hernan from their MessyFamilyProject.org, specifically their MessyFamilyMinute.org, number 36, titled Prioritize Your Spouse. And lastly, this third Messy Family Minute is number 15, titled Praying as a Couple. They say this, the Hernans, For some couples, praying together is very natural, but for other couples, prayer may feel awkward or forced. But the truth is that there is real power in spouses praying together. So how can couples pray together more? You can bless each other and your children in the morning or engage in communal prayer together like the rosary or the chaplet of divine mercy or the mass. You can also ask your spouse how you can pray for them, intercede for them and their needs throughout your day as you are driving or cleaning. When parents need guidance in making decisions for the family, this is when the two of you should really come before the Lord in faith and ask for help through prayer. And when you fall or make poor choices, you should also repent together and ask the Lord for his forgiveness and mercy. I think that's important too, Jack. When you fall or make pure, poor choices as spouses, either collectively or individually, you should also repent together and ask the Lord for his forgiveness and mercy. Growing in your prayer life as, as spouses is an essential way to develop and deepen your relationship as a married couple, but also a way for you to support your spouse and love them more profoundly. A threefold cord is not easily broken. And as Fulton Sheen's little paperback says from the 1960s, it takes three to marry, the husband, the wife, and Jesus Christ. And the Hernans end this little messy family minute titled Praying as a Couple by saying, quote, a threefold cord is not easily broken, 
Prayer must be and must remain a prominent aspect of the couple's life, their married life as spouses and their married life as parents. So there's three messy family minutes. Date night, number 29. Prioritize your spouse, number 36. And praying as a couple, number 15. All found at messyfamilyminute.org, which is a, a subset of the main parent website, if I may say that. Which the actually, main yeah, actually, messyfamilyminute.org just takes you to the Messy Family Project website. <laughs> it, it, yes, it does. It takes you to where the, the Messy Family Minutes are listed, but it is a subset of, of I believe, the messyfamilyproject.org. Uh, or maybe it is its own website. I know that I arrived at the minutes by going to the main website. That's why maybe I was thinking in that way. Yeah, the Messy Family Minutes is is a mnemonic device, I think, but it just takes you to the homepage of messyfamilyproject.org. Okay, so great. No so, gets, so gets go confused. go to either yeah. right, right. Go to either of those and and see these listed. And there's multiple multiple topics that will help help couples out. And it's just a great great resource uh, for for families. And I want to uh, encourage our members to our listeners to go there. Um, and also, and while I'm at it, talking about the Messy Family Minutes, I want to encourage uh, our listeners, Jack, here on Open Line Tuesday, to go to fathersofmercy.com to Father Wade Menezes' own 25 specifically Catholic marriage tips. This is another great resource. 25 specifically Catholic marriage tips that I've written up that I hope will help married couples as husbands and wives. Uh, go to fathersofmercy.com, and at the uh, homepage, again, on the, at the magnifying glass icon, which you click on, a, 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 a search bar will come up. And on that search bar, you type 25 Catholic marriage tips. Don't, don't spell out 25, just put the number 2 and the number 5. 25 Catholic marriage tips, and it comes, out, uh, it comes up immediately ready to print out as a PDF document. So another great source to uh, add with your, your Messy Family Minutes. Watch the, the video, too, at uh, the homepage for MessyFamilyProject.org. It shows uh, Mike and Alicia Hernan with their children, and uh, it's, they have 10 children. Uh, it's just a great video where they lay out what inspired them to create these websites and start this little apostolate as a family. So it's a very special mailbag edition of EWTN's Open Line Tuesday, talking faith, family, and fellowship with Father Wade Menezes. So we won't be taking your calls today, but if you'd like to be part of a future mailbag program, simply send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. That's openline, all one word, at EWTN.com. It's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Today's Open Line is recorded, so no calls, please. If you'd like to send us an email for a future show, the address is openline at EWTN.com. Uh, again, a very special mailbag edition of Open Line Tuesday, so we won't be taking your phone calls today, but we do have some folks that were held over from a previous episode that were kind enough to hang on for us, and the first of those is Vincent, a first-time caller in Montgomery, New Jersey, uh, listening at EWTN.com. Vincent, thanks for holding. You're on with Father Wade. Hello, Father Wade. Can you hear me okay? I can, yes. So, here's my question. If in baptism, we die to our old life of original sin and rise to a new life in the Church, then how can John the Baptist 
baptized people before Jesus formed the church? Great question, uh, Vincent, because John's baptism was a baptism of desire for spiritual cleansing, uh, a commitment to follow God's law, for example, a recognition of one's sin. Where Jesus' baptism that he instituted was one of, of water and the Holy Spirit, indeed for the forgiveness of sins as well. Jesus voluntarily submitted himself to baptism, the baptism of John the Baptist, not because he had to, because he was without sin completely, but rather because he wanted to set an example for all of his followers who have sin. So Jesus Christ had a fully human nature, just like ours, in every way but sin. So you're absolutely correct. He didn't need the baptism of repentance, the baptism of of desire to follow God's law, when he himself is God, the second person of the Trinity, made incarnate, the Son. He did it out out of voluntary submission, precisely to set an example for his future followers. In our Chapel of Divine Mercy here, Vincent, at the Fathers of Mercy Generalate, we have uh, six beautiful large portraits in the sanctuary, and one of them is the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist. Maybe your, your mom or dad could take you to the Fathers of Mercy website to show you those big portraits, and you'll see in the sanctuary on the left-hand side the baptism of, of Jesus by John in, in the Jordan River. Uh, and again, he, he submitted himself uh, voluntarily to set an example, not because he had sin, not because he needed forgiveness of sin. Great question. And when you turn 18, look at the Fathers of Mercy. It could be that our Lord's calling you to become a priest, young man. God bless you now. Thanks for a great question today. We'll stay right there in the state of New Jersey. Elena is in New Jersey, a first-time caller listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Elena, you're on with Father Wade. Good evening, Father Wade. My name is Elena. And I am originally born and raised in New York, but now I reside in New Jersey by God's grace because of his blessings. Um, I really calling in to give more some just my story to give somebody hope. And then I wanted your blessings to continue to carry my cross on a daily basis. So I'm going to start off by just informing you that I grew up in a very dysfunctional family as a result of alcoholism. My mm-hmm. father was an alcoholic and he never got to recover from alcoholism, no programs, nothing. He was very resistant and um, hard-headed, and God rest his soul, he passed in 2013. But um, I wanted to share that, you know, I became an alcoholic, and, um, Mm. you know, I lost a lot of my youth because of being out there and and chasing the drink and whatever else came with it. And now um, I have the opportunity to share that in March 25th, 1993, I went to alcohol, after detox, I went to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I was able to, you know, get sober in the 12-step program, but they say about a God of your understanding, and I grew up Catholic, so it was easy for me to just, you know, go to God, but I didn't know much about God, because I was drunk all the time, and so, all right, so here I am, I turned my life over to God, and I asked Him for His blessings, and the Holy Virgin Mary, Mother of God, all the angels and saints, the Holy Spirit, and Holy Trinity, because I look at them as my spiritual network, and I just turned my life over to them. I turned my life over to them, Father Wade, and I tell you, it's been a blessing since March 25th, 1993, up to this very point in my life. I've carried a heavy cross, though. I have carried a heavy cross because things happen in life, but I was able to go back to school, 
as a 29-year-old woman, I was able to go back to school, and I went to um, college in New Rochelle and got my bachelor's degree. I went to the um, Fordham University in New York City, and I got my master's in social work. And that's all blessings of God, because I always feared going to school because I didn't think I'd be able to, you know, do what they would ask of me. And then somebody told me, just do what the professor tells you. He's your guide, aside Amen. from God. And, and I just showed up. And every, everything that I do, I just show up. I move forward, no matter what, no matter how much I'm hurting. But I wanted to tell you also that your um, homilies in EWTN always strengthened me and gave me hope. And especially when God says no. I love that. <laughs> I love that. Oh, and it's yes, okay. Sir. I understand. When God says no, not right now, you know? And, right. and I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. But when you said that, I was like, it's okay then, okay. Yeah, amen. Well, Elena, what a fantastic—I love your phrase, spiritual network. They're my spiritual network. The Blessed Trinity, the saints, the Blessed Mother, the sacraments, this is my spiritual network. What a fantastic, um, fantastic, uh, Elena, uh, witness call to give others uh, so, so, so much hope. That's just a wonderful thing. You know, one of the things you said that I say frequently— on the road with my preaching or on Open Line Tuesday is, yes, the saints move forward. They they don't look back. You think of that 1978 Boston hit, Boston being a, a, a classic rock group now. Am I giving my age, Jack? I just said in the <laughs> last show I turned 57. But anyway, you know, don't look back. A new day's breaking. It's been so long since I felt this way. You know, we can take a secular song like that and really apply a spiritual element to it. So don't look back on your past sins. Once you've confessed them, move forward. Don't look back. Luke 9, 62. Jesus himself says, No one who puts a hand to the plow and yet keeps looking back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Philippians 3.13 has St. Paul saying, quote, I focus on one thing and one thing only, forgetting the past and looking forward to only what lies ahead. 2 Peter 2, verse 22, Do not be like a dog that keeps returning to its own vomit, quoting Proverbs 26, 11, nor be like a sow that after washing returns to wallow in her own mire. No, no, don't do those things. Move forward. How about John 8, verse 11, Jesus himself to the woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. When we tell someone to go, Elena, quote, end quote, go, we're telling them to go forward, not backwards, forward. And Jesus tells her, go and sin no more. And how about the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2, has the prophet saying to God, quote, I will go forward confidently now and will no longer be afraid. God is the source of my strength, the tower of my defense. The Lord has made himself my protector. Amen to that. And that word confidently, I will go forward confidently now, the prophet Isaiah says, confide, confide, with faith. I will go forward with faith now, in other words. I will go forward confidently now and will no longer be afraid. God is the source of my strength, the tower of my defense. The Lord has made himself my protector. Now, you mentioned something that really touched you. It's titled, And God Said No. Elena, you would not believe, well, maybe you would believe, how many people this, this touches. It's anonymous. I found it online. I tweaked it a little bit to make it more stronger of a message. 
um, and it just resonates with people. It's simply titled, And God Said No. And, and think of your own history with your alcoholism, Elena, which you gave such a beautiful witness about and how you kept moving forward. Listen to this. You'll love this because you already appreciate it, but I hope it resonates with so many of our listeners this hour. Again, it's titled, And God Said No. It begins with these words. I asked God to take away my pride, and God said no. He said it was not for him to take away my pride, but for me to give it up. I then asked God to make my handicapped child whole, and God said no. He said her spirit is already full and whole. Her body is only temporary. I asked God to grant me patience, and God said no. He said that patience is a byproduct of tribulation, suffering. It isn't granted. It's earned. I then asked God to give me happiness, and God said no. He said he gives blessings. The happiness is up to me. I asked God then to spare my pain, and God said no. He said suffering draws you apart from worldly cares and brings you closer to me on my cross. I then asked God to make my spirit grow, and God said no. He said, I must grow on my own, but he will prune me to make me more fruitful. I asked God if he loved me, and God said, yes, I love you. He gave his only son who died for me, and I will be in heaven someday because I believe in him, because I love him. So I asked God to help me love others as much as he loves me. And God said, ah, finally. You finally have the right idea. Amen. Thank you, Elena, for such a great, great witness call. We really appreciate it here on Open Line Tuesday. Uh, we'll head to Al next. He is in Phoenix, Arizona, a first-time caller listening on Sirius XM 130. Al, you're on with Father Wade. Good afternoon, Father Wade. Thank you for taking my call. Hey, you bet, Al. Thanks for your call today. Uh, yes, um, I am uh, I was legally blind my entire life. Um, went into <clears throat> music and I was advised not to uh, from the junior college days, and I continued on as a music educator now for 35 years, and my mm-hmm. blindness continued to get worse uh, as I hit 40, had to use a cane, it lost mostly all my vision, um, and I'm still currently teaching. Um, the transitioning that took place, that it, I got you know, say, yes, it's been difficult, uh, but the fortitude to keep going um, has, by the grace of God, been there. Uh, at one point, um, uh, when I was full of pride, <clears throat> uh, I heard a priest say one time to the congregation, uh, when you turn down the assistance that is out there, you might be turning uh, God away, and He is bringing your assistance. And so it changed my life at that point of understanding to say yes when people offered help, that it, maybe that is from God. And I also would be turning down an opportunity for them to grow. Um, so it changed my whole attitude on accepting assistance <clears throat> for myself and the benefit of somebody else that, you know, they, they made, made their day. Um, but anyways, as just wanted to say it is uh, a white, regarding white martyrdom, it is there. There is suffering. There is, uh, but I do offer it up uh, many times when it's, it's tough uh, for mm-hmm. myself, past sins and or uh, others, and hopefully um, <laughs> shorten my time in purgatory and or I offer it as a, as a prayer and an example to the children 
that maybe they can see someone with a disability um, that is carrying on and, and can still be very successful and, and love life and love music um, with a disability and just curling up and, and not doing anything. So I'm 59 and maybe a few more years, and um, but my eyes did decrease a lot faster than I ever thought it would when I hit 40. So there's wow. my beginning story for you. Well, Al, thank you so much for a great witness uh, about white martyrdom, in this case, through a health issue that came upon you from an outside source. Uh, look at my six aspects of suffering at fathersofmercy.com, six salvific aspects of suffering, Al, to help continue on this path of turning over everything to God. It's a very special mailbag edition of EWTN's Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade Menezes. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Today's Open Line is recorded, so no calls, please. If you'd like to send us an email for a future show, the address is openline at EWTN.com. So we're not taking your phone calls today on a mailbag edition of EWTN's Open Line, but Stuart in the great state of Oklahoma was gracious enough to hold on the line from a previous program. Stuart, thanks for holding. You are uh, You are on with Father Wade. Well, thank you for taking my call. This is uh, off-topic about white martyrdom, but I had listened to the Father's uh, answer to the gentleman that had not been to Mass in four years, mm. and it kind of got me to thinking, uh, I'll be starting the RCIA in a couple of weeks, and I'm in my mid-60s, so naturally enough, I have never, ever been to a Mass. I, I'm I'm almost 100% sure there's going to be some things that I'm just not going to remember. Is that going to affect the validity of the confession at all? That, that's a great question. Uh, you're only bound to confess what is sincerely known to your conscience in regards to mortal sin after having made a good examination of your conscience. As a catechumen beginning RCIA, the Rite of Christian Initiation for Adults, and after one year will enter the Catholic Church, most likely during the Easter Vigil, um, you will go to confession before provided the Catholic Church has accepted your prior Protestant baptism. Simple question, Stuart, simple yes or no. Are, are you baptized in a Pro Protestant faith sometime in your past? Or, or have you never been baptized? No, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, I have been. Okay. How old were you when you were baptized in the Protestant faith? I was approximately 11. Okay, so a few years after the age of reason. So any sins committed before that baptism would be wiped away by the baptism. So you're only bound to confess any and all known mortal sins after making a good examination of your conscience. You're only bound to confess any and all mortal sins committed after that baptism at age 11 up to your present time of living at age 60, whatever you said you were. You said you are in your 60s. Uh, and then you'll make that confession before the Easter Vigil. Now... The, the pastor of the parish where you're going through RCIA, he will want to ascertain, make certain, in other words, that your baptism was valid in the Protestant Church, because the Catholic Church does acknowledge the validity of Protestant baptisms if they were done in the proper Trinitarian formula, that is to say, in the name of the Father, 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If there's any reason to believe that that was not done properly at age 11 in the Protestant church that you attended at the time, then the, the pastor of the Catholic Church will baptize you conditionally, which means he will simply baptize you, but will first say the words, if you are not already baptized, Stuart, I baptize you now in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit with the three-time immersion or three-time pouring. But if he can ascertain that you were baptized in a valid rite, then he'll accept that, and he won't baptize you conditionally before the Easter Vigil next year. How can the, a pastor ascertain that you were baptized validly? For example, the Methodist Church is very good about giving out baptismal certificates that literally say on them, so-and-so was baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. On such and such a day, in such and such a Methodist church, at such and such an address. So because that certificate has the Trinitarian formula literally on it, you have it on good faith that those Methodists baptized the person who received the baptismal certificate in their own name in a proper Trinitarian formula. So in that case, the Catholic priest will accept that as, as, as a valid baptism. Uh, but if, if he can't ascertain that 100% that you were baptized validly in the proper Trinitarian formula, he'll baptize you conditionally. If he does that at the Easter Vigil, you won't have to go to confession before the Easter Vigil, because your conditional baptism will, will wipe away everything, but he'll probably still ask you to go in case the, the prior Protestant baptism was valid. I hope that doesn't sound confusing. If, if the conditional baptism indeed takes effect because the first one was never valid, then all sins are forgiven, because baptism wipes away all, not only the original sin, but all personal sin, actual sin, that is to say mortal or venial sin. So you, the first thing you want to do is try to ascertain whether or not, for your pastor's benefit, whether or not that 11-year-old baptism when you were 11 years old was valid or not. And then he'll help you, if it was valid, he'll help you make a good, solid, holy confession from the age of 11 up to, your per, up to your present state of age, you're asking here as well whether or not it'll be a long confession. No. You know, a, a priest can walk somebody through the Ten Commandments of their life, you know, in a 15, 20-minute confession at the most. Remember, confession is not about great or graphic detail. Confession is about kind and approximate number. Mortal sin needs to be confessed in the confessional, the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, but venial sin does not. But it's a good thing to confess venial sin. With venial sin, you only need to confess kind. You don't even need to confess the approximate number. But mortal sin requires kind and approximate number. I want to tell you, Stuart, where to go. Go to fathersofmercy.com. At the home page, click on the magnifying glass icon. A search bar comes up in the middle of the page. In that search bar, I want you to type the words, examination of conscience. Right away, the Fathers of Mercy, my community, at fathersofmercy.com, right away our English and Spanish examination of conscience brochure comes up, ready to print off as a PDF document on your home printer. Print out a copy of the English one. It'll take you about 10, 12 minutes to read through it. It combs through the Ten Commandments in a very balanced, gentle, realistic way takes you about 10 minutes to read. It'll prepare you for a wonderful confession that is confessed simply and honestly and forthrightly according to kind and number, approximate number, without a lot of great or graphic detail. What are the benefits, Stuart, of a, of a, of a frequent confession? Say once a month, conscience is purified. 
Grace is increased. The will is strengthened. Self-knowledge is increased. More rapid growth in virtue takes place. Humility grows. Bad habits are assisted in being overcome. A spirit of mediocrity or lukewarmness is assisted in being overcome. And greater self-control is achieved in daily living. Never, ever, ever be afraid of this beautiful, wonderful tribunal of mercy. That's what our Lord calls the sacrament of confession to St. Faustina three different times that she records in her diary. Confession is the tribunal of mercy. It's, it's the, the court of mercy. Who's the just judge? The Father. Who's the tribune? The public defender? Jesus Christ, who came to die for you. And who's the jury? The Holy Spirit. It's a Trinitarian reality with each and every confession we attend. Never, ever forget that. So print out that examination of conscience at fathersofmercy.com. takes you about 10 or 12 minutes to read through it. It's a wonderful, wonderful examination of conscience. It will prepare you for confession, but first your pastor will help you ascertain whether or not, Stuart, that baptism you received in your Protestant church at age 11 was valid or not. And if he has reason to believe it wasn't, he'll conditionally baptize you at the Easter Vigil, but we'll still probably have you go to confession first, just in case it is just that, a conditional baptism. So um, uh, fear not, my brother. Confession's very liberating, very freeing. And I end with this, Stuart. Remember, out of all seven sacraments, only two can be received over and over and over again with much frequency. Eucharist and confession. Why is that? Because these are the two sacraments that sustain us in our daily walk in life, our daily journey in life, whether single, married, or as consecrated religious, priests, brothers, sisters, doctors, farmers, lawyers, homeschooling mothers, homeschooling fathers, a divorced dad of three, striving to live chastely, a retired grandparent, working grandparent, recently widowed grandparent, college student, middle school student, high school student, it doesn't matter. Even the, even the elementary school student who's attained the age of reason around age seven. Confession and Eucharist sustain us in our daily walk in life. This is why these are the only two sacraments out of the seven that can be received over and over and over again with much frequency. Eucharist every Sunday at Mass and every holy day of obligation that might fall on a weekday. Confession once a month, 12 times a year. Beautiful practice for the spiritual life to make a good monthly confession. All right? Uh, say in honor of the first Friday devotion to the Sacred Heart or the first Saturday devotion to the Immaculate Heart. It doesn't have to be done at the first Friday, first Saturday timing, but that's a good time to remember to go to monthly confession, right? Uh, three more of the sacraments can only be received once. That's it. Baptism, confirmation, and holy orders. Because of the indelible mark or spiritual character, they leave on the soul never to be erased. And the last two sacraments can be received again, but it wouldn't be with a lot of frequency. Okay? Matrimony and anointing of the sick. But Eucharist and confession, oh yeah, bring it on, bring it on. They can be received both repetitiously and frequently. Never forget that. You want the Eucharist to be prominent in your life. We're in the three-year Eucharistic revival right now, called, by, called for by our U.S. Uh, Conference of Bishops, the USCCB. Three-year Eucharistic revival. Get to know our Lord's real and true abiding presence in the Eucharist, in his body, blood, soul, and divinity. Okay, And get to know and be faithful to the sacrament of confession. Thank you, Stuart, for a great, great question. I, I hope that helps you out. Eight, uh, well, actually, I'm not going to give the phone number out because it's a very special mailbag edition of EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. MR watches us on YouTube and writes in, A Catholic family member has an IUD. She justifies it by saying a priest told her it's okay to use in order to maintain her mental health. 
What should I do if a moral authority has told her it was okay? Well, that moral authority was wrong on several fronts. Number one, um, we can never do an evil that good might come from it. And abortifacient contraception, contraception in general, let alone abortifacient contraception, is an evil. Um, the IUD is one of the abortifacient contraceptions that is just that, abortifacient, which means what? It means that it can still allow the egg to be fertilized. That's not a... Uh, that, that's not just a blob of tissue. That's a human person with potential. It's not just a potential human person, that fertilized egg. That is a human person with potential, provided it's given its nine-month gestation period. Um, and it causes it to be fertilized, but to flush out of the woman's system and not latch onto the uterine wall. We would call this a spontaneous, chemically-induced abortion. It can happen so early on that the woman even know it happened. doesn't mean it'll happen every time, but it can happen. It's an abortifacient contraceptive. So my question would, would be, why can't she get assistance for her mental health? If she's on the IUD for mental health purposes, um, she needs to seek other means for mental health. Even if she can't afford the mental health, there's county programs, there's city programs that will provide free of charge mental health assistance and to do your best to practice abstinence during the fertile periods with your spouse. That would be the teaching of the church in this regard. The church feels for her. The church uh, sympathizes with her on her mental health issues, but taking an abortifacient contraceptive is not the, the way to finally arrive at a resolution for your mental health issues. It's not. In fact, giving what the abortifacient contraceptives do in regards to the hormonal balances and imbalances, they can make you fluctuate up and down, up and down, let alone the link that abortifacient contraceptive in its various forms, whether it be the birth control pill or the IUD, uh, the diaphragm, and, and others, uh, regardless of, of all those things that I just enunciated, uh, what about what they can do in regards to being linked to uh, such things as cervical cancer, uterine cancer, even breast cancer. You want proof of that? Take a look at, at the paperwork that comes with the abortifacient contraceptives when you pick it up. Uh, this is dangerous stuff. This is dangerous stuff. And we surely don't want a chemically induced spontaneous abortion. So we can never ever do an evil that good might come from it. The good in this case, meaning helping the woman with her mental health. Well, there's other ways to get assistance for her mental health. That would be the teaching of the church. Great, great witness question. Thank you so much. Again, a very special mailbag edition of Open Line Tuesday with Father Wade. Uh, Carrie also watches us on YouTube and asks, when can confession start? Do you already have to be baptized before you can go to confession? Yes, normatively speaking, baptism remains the gateway sacrament. What does gateway mean? Well, it means just that. Picture two beautiful golden gates uh, opening up. Uh, there, it's the gateway sacrament that's normally received first before the other six can be received, okay? That said, if a non-Catholic is dying, and at the time of their death, they profess everything to be true and worthy of belief and to hold that what the Catholic Church believes, they can be baptized on the spot and receive confession immediately and even receive Holy Viaticum, one's final Holy Communion, which in this case would be that person's first Holy Communion as well. So it can be given in danger of death for the Catholic and the non-Catholic, and yes, baptism remains the normative sacrament to be received first before the other six can be received. A great question. Thank you so much. 
And Wayne also watches us on YouTube, and he says, I was told only the priest's consecrated hands can touch the host. I'm homebound, so is it a sacrilege to have the extraordinary minister of Holy Communion bring me communion? No, not at all. The Church permits that, and the person is properly deputed by the Church's authority to bring you Holy Communion. Great question. Thank you so much. Uh, It's a very special mailbag edition of EWTN's Open Line Tuesday, so we won't be taking your phone calls today. Um, Marcy writes in, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, is there ever an occasion when a priest would not accommodate being asked to give the last rites to someone? There is, technically, if if it's known that the—now, by last rites, uh, it's presumed that the person is at death's door. That's what we mean by last rites, okay? We used to call— the anointing of the sick before Vatican II, the last rites, because that's the only time it was given, when the person was at death's door. One of the beautiful developments of theology, not a change of doctrine, but a development of doctrine from Vatican II, was that one can receive what we now call the sacrament of the anointing of the sick whenever one begins to be in danger of death because of sickness or old age. In other words, they may not be right at death's door. Let's say a woman discovers a lump on her breast, and Uh, It's going to be a week before she can see the doctor. It'll be another week after that before the biopsy is taken. It'll be another week after that when the biopsy comes back. So we're looking, and yet she's feeling perfectly healthy other than feeling the lump, okay? Uh, There's nothing stopping her from receiving the sacrament of the anointing of the sick because for all we know, she has begun to be in danger of death because of sickness or old age, because we know nothing about this lump, and we won't know nothing about this lump for another three or four weeks, because that's how things unfurl in the medical field. It takes time to get results back. As soon as she discovers the lump, even before she sees the doctor, she can receive the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. This is one of the great developments out of Vatican II. And the sacrament of the anointing of the sick remains one of the, the main five elements of the collective, what we call last rites, that is confession, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick, holy viaticum, one's final holy communion, the prayers of commendation for the dying at the time of death, and the apostolic pardon at the time of death. So this question, I'm presuming they're, they're making it clear that the person is already at death's door. Is there ever a time when a priest can refuse to give these five elements Yes, if the person refuses them. Provided the person is open to receiving them, they can receive them. Even if the person is comatose, for example, all of a sudden from a car accident, and the parents call the priest in for the person who's comatose, and the parents can vouch for the person in a comatose state, Father, he would want the last rites, we know that. The priest can, on good faith, take the parent's words for that and go ahead and administer the last rites. Now, in a comatose state, he wouldn't be able to receive all five elements of the last rites. He couldn't receive holy viaticum because he's comatose. He could receive the anointing of the sick, which in that case doubles as as confession because he's non-auricular and non-audible. He's in a comatose state. So in that case, the sacrament of the anointing of the sick doubles as confession. And then should he recover, he's bound to confess any known mortal sins uh, following the recovery of his comatose state. But he still could receive the prayers of commendation for the dying, and he still could receive the apostolic pardon, this person in the comatose state. And that's a wonderful thing. And if the priest has knowledge, say, from relatives, I use the example of parents, yes, Father, he would want the last rites, even though he's in a coma, then the priest could administer four of those five 
uh, the one he couldn't receive would be Holy Communion, one's final Holy Communion, Holy Viaticum. But again, he could receive the anointing of the sick, which doubles his confession, number two, and he could receive the prayers of commendation for the dying, and he could receive the apostolic pardon. This is why it's so important to let our loved ones know, whether relatives or friends, let our loved ones know, hey, if I'm ever in a comatose state, call the priest. I want the last rites, even if I'm comatose. And let your loved ones, whether family or friends, let your loved ones know as well, hey, if I'm ever in a car accident and I'm still alert, I'm not in a comatose state, I still want you to call the priest so I can receive the last rites because I won't be able to do it on my own because of the car accident. I might be in ICU, not in a comatose state, but in ICU all bandaged up. I, I can't call the priest on my own. We should make it known to our our loved ones, whether family or friends, that whether comatose or non-comatose, if I'm in a near-death situation or in an accident situation, I want the priest called as soon as is reasonably possible to give me the elements of the last rites that apply to me. This is a beautiful thing to make known to your family or friends. Great question. Um, you know, Father Wade has a, a beautiful document called The 14 uh, Exercises You Can Do to Grow in Holiness. And one of those exercises is the daily recitation of the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. We can help you with that. We air it Monday through Friday mornings, 5 a.m. Eastern Time, right here on EWTN Radio. Uh, Maria writes in on this very special mailbag edition of EWTN's Open Line Tuesday, which Bible would you recommend, and how do I respond to someone who has lost faith in Catholicism because they lost a parent to cancer? Okay, well, as far as losing the parent to cancer, that's an aspect of suffering for the loved one who remains behind, who's having a hard time with having the loss of the parent through cancer. Um, I give six aspects of suffering, six benefits of suffering, six salvific, meaning saving or redeeming, six salvific and redemptive aspects of suffering that we embrace during our suffering regardless of how that suffering comes to us, whether it's something we bring on ourselves through our own stubbornness and weakness, maybe a vicious vice becomes a form of suffering from you, uh, from yourself, or whether it's brought from an outside source, like the passing of a loved one, either through a slow demise of illness or all of a sudden, like through a car accident, it shocks us, we've lost the loved one. Take a look at those six salvific or redemptive aspects of suffering as taught by Holy Mother Church, the Bride of Christ, you can acquire those in a, in a PDF document ready to print off on your home printer by simply going to fathersofmercy.com, and on the home page, on the search bar, after clicking on the magnifying glass icon, type in the words, six benefits of suffering, or salvific aspect of suffering, and it comes right up, and internalize those six benefits of suffering. Uh, take the sheet with you to, to Mass, and, and arrive at Mass a few minutes early, to read through it as your Mass preparation, then offer your Holy Communion for your deceased parent. Have Masses said for the blessed repose of your soul of your deceased parent. In your daily rosary and daily Divine Mercy Chaplet, something that, that Jack just mentioned, the importance of the Divine Mercy Chaplet, um, offer up the Chaplet for, you, for the blessed repose of your parent's soul on their birthday and death day, and if they were married, even on their anniversary date of marriage, have a Mass said for them at your local parish, and go to that Mass 
attend that Mass, receive Holy Communion at that Mass that you had celebrated for your parents. There's many, many things you can do, and this, these six salvific aspects of suffering sheet will help you internalize this reality. As far as the Bibles go, you know, there's a wonderful, wonderful article at our friends at ascensionpress.com titled, Five Most Popular Catholic Study Bibles Ranked. Ranked by whom? Well, ascensionpress.com. Ascensionpress.com, and the title of the article is Five Most Popular Catholic Study Bibles Ranked, and here's how they rank them. Number five, the Catholic Study Bible. Number four, Catholic Scripture Study Bible. Number three, the Didache Bible. It uses the Revised Standard Version, Second Catholic Edition, and the Didache is an ancient second century document, actually into the first century document, that discusses such things as abortion. Uh, by name, by the way. Uh, number two is the Ignatius Study Bible, and number one, the Great Adventure Catholic Bible. Um, all of these uh, are available online at EWTNRC.com. Um, go back and listen to the podcast to get the five ranked again, or simply go to ascensionpress.com and, and look for the article titled, quote, Five Most Popular Catholic Study Bibles Ranked. It really depends on what you're looking for in a Bible. Do you want each verse broken down? Do you want each pericope, which is a section of Scripture, talking about a specific story, for example, like the multiplication of loaves and fishes? That's a pericope. That story is called a pericope. Do you want a Bible that only breaks down pericopes? Do you want a Bible, a Catholic study Bible, that breaks down each verse? Do you want a Catholic bu- uh, a study Bible that gives you the history of the book itself at the beginning before you start reading that particular book? Um, it depends on what you want, how in detail do you want, or to begin with, with your daily scriptural reading, do you want no commentary? Do you want simply the scriptures itself? Do you want the words of Jesus in red or not in red to stand out for you? There's many, many questions, but this is a great article to start out with, and then there's a paragraph that describes, in, in, actually more than a paragraph, that describes in detail each of those five. Again, number five, the Catholic Study Bible, number four, the Catholic Scripture Study Bible, Number three, the Didache Bible, which uses the Revised Standard Version, Second Catholic Edition, the Ignatius Study Bible, and the Great Adventure Catholic Bible. And for myself, personally, for my homilies, I love the Navarre Study Bible because it provides the Latin uh, as well as the English. And you can see the beautiful Mater Lingua, the, the mother tongue of the Church, in the Scripture passage. And where can they find out more about the Fathers of Mercy? at fathersofmercy.com. Would you leave us with a blessing? I certainly will, Jack. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always, St. Joseph, Terror of Demons. Pray for us on behalf of our host, Father Wade Menezes, our producer, Michael McCall. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to this very special mailbag edition of EWTN's Open Line Tuesday. We're back at it tomorrow with Father Mitch. Until we get together then, God bless.